At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Howdy, everyone. If you enjoy the show, join our free Discord. Link in the description and chat with the cast. Please leave a review and consider joining our Patreon for behind-the-scenes content and more. Tears start at a dollar, and even that helps us out. To stay up to date with episode releases and more, follow us on Twitter at Riffway Podcast. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is Mythic Monsters and Divine Aspects. Mitch, are you familiar with either of those two things? No. <laughs> So, honestly, this is a kind of weird one to me in terms of how they chose to go about introducing and using this. Uh, There is a, how do I phrase this, less commonly owned D&D book, Mythic Odysseys of Theros. And that is, you know, kind of a Greek mythology book use you know as part of D fifth edition and part of the new mechanic introduced in that book is a new monster category beyond legendary monsters referred to as mythic monsters and the reason that this is more relevant now is because in new fisman's book there are a lot of new mythic monsters added for all of the crazy powerful new tier of dragons that do exist, which we'll be talking more about on Thursday. But there's not actually any description of mythic monsters in Fizbins. They just kind of assume that you know, which isn't great because a lot of people will see that and probably not know how a mythic monster works unless they also do have the Theros book. So that being said, I'm just going to take a look at 
the description of mythic monsters from that book. Mythic traits transform battles into truly legendary confirmations, well suited to the climactic battles at the ends of adventures or whole campaigns. Mythic traits are optional. They don't need to be used during combat with these monsters. If you so choose, you may simply ignore a monster's mythic trait and mythic actions. If you wish to increase a battle stakes, though, using a monster's mythic trait results in some mid-battle twist that changes the way the monster behaves, restores its resources, or provides it with new actions to use. As a result, the battle becomes deadlier and rages on for longer than most combat encounters. Each monster features an As a Mythic Encounter section that highlights its mythic trait, notes how it changes the difficulty of the encounter and the rewards, and includes read-aloud text you can include mid-battle to signify a terrifying shift in the conflict. Uh, I'm curious, does that sound familiar from something not D&D related in terms of boss mechanics for other media? No. Okay, let me rephrase that. Have you ever played a video game that has a phased boss fight? Oh, like this isn't even my final form? Uh-huh. Mythic trait is D&D's this isn't my final form. So, with that all in mind, now that will transition us to the second aspect of this episode title, Divine Aspect. Can you tell me what an aspect is and how that ties in to the first thing? Uh, I mean, I know what a TV aspect ratio is, but uh, that, that's about it. <laughs> I don't oh. know lore, man. That's why I'm on this show to learn. <laughs> Thank you, and I appreciate the willingness to learn. Alright, so there are honestly a number of weird quirks and possibilities to being a god in, you know, most Dungeons & Dragons worlds. So an aspect is a less powerful version of some crazy powerful being, you know, typically, but not always, a god. So, in this case, an aspect of a D&D god is something that we now have two of published in Fizbins. And given that it is Fizbins Treasury of Dragons, can you guess what two gods we have aspects for now? Tiamat. And mm-hmm. I don't know the other dragon you had. Bahamut. Oh, duh. <laughs> All right, I, I'm done. I quit. I, I should have <laughs> that one. It's early morning. Yes, yes, you should. But the idea, though, that a aspect is simply a weaker version of a god for much, much simplification, uh, because they are not able or not permitted to manifest their full self on a material plane. Usually that's, you know, the way that that works metaphysically in a D&D game. That being said, aspects are still powerful. So in terms of just a pure mechanical number, can you guess what CR 
an aspect of Bahamut or Tiamat might be. 25. Too low. 30. Correct! And quick reminder, what is the highest CR in 5th edition? 30. Mm-hmm. So what does that also imply in terms of gods in a D&D world if the aspect is CR 30? Run. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But honestly, the way that I would think of that is the idea of the material plane is only able to sustain or just allow to exist creatures up to CR 30. And that once you do get like above CR 30 at just in just theoretically speaking, that it's something that is almost more conceptual or metaphysical and simply isn't existence that can be on the material plane so i like just thinking about you know the whys of dnd rules in addition to just the rules themselves but that being said uh we do now have stats for the aspect of bahamut and tiamat and we'll be going through the two of those to also illustrate how a mythic monster is to be used and just how powerful an aspect of one of these gods can be so we're gonna go through the character sheets for both the aspects and let's go ahead and do that okay first up we have the aspect of bahamut so it is cr30 as we said it has a natural armor of 23 ac 585 hit points. All movement types, uh, you know, walk, burrow, swim, and fly. Uh, 60 feet for most, 120 foot for flying. It is a lot. In terms of stats, what is the highest that a 5th edition D&D stat can be on the material plane? 30. 30. So Bahamut is <laughs> a rather powerful being, to say the least. So how meant, like, what do you think Bahamut's stats would look like? Uh, high. Yeah. 30 strength and charisma, 29 con, 28 wisdom, 25 intelligence, and the lowest stat is a dex of 18. So, yeah. Beefy dragon. <sighs> Saving throws, a couple of skills. Damage immunities. Acid, cold, fire, lightning, radiant, bludging, piercing, slashing from non-magical attacks. So, yeah. He is fully immune to most elements. Well, at least a lot of the common chromatic ones. Do you notice something odd or missing, though? I'm muted. Uh, gem shit, right? Well, yeah, gem dragons are a thing, but not relevant at the moment. But just Man. in terms of the fact that of the damage immunities. I already forgot all the options. <laughs> uh. 
Yeah, you fed over. Yeah, that's fine. The aspect of Bahamut is not immune to poison, which is fucking weird, because that's the easiest immunity for characters to get. So he's immune to acid, cold, fire, lightning, radiant, and then non-magical physical damage. But not poisoned and not immune to the poison, the poison condition? That's fucking weird, and that is a glaring weakness in my eyes. Like, I don't know if that's just like a, oops, we forgot that one, or if that's actually an intentional design choice. Like, if I ever were to make use of this, I would absolutely change it to add that poison, because that's insane that that's not there. The fact that Bahamut can be affected by the poison condition is crazy. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, that aside, speaking of condition immunities, cannot be charmed, deafened, frightened, paralyzed, or stunned. Actually, wait a minute. It's not immune to petrified either? There are some interesting choices made with this stat block. Interesting. Anyway, as a CR30 creature, uh, it, it <laughs> aspect is worth a 155 thousand xp uh so just for the sake of silliness can you guess uh what level would a creature be if somehow a first level character was able to uh defeat an aspect and get that full xp 10 Uh, with 155k? Uh, oh, 100. Yeah, because yeah. uh, that deck of many things is only 10,000, right? So, uh-huh. I'm going to guess 20. <laughs> uh, not quite. So that would make someone uh, level 14 and a good chunk of the way to level 15. So it's kind of interesting, though, that like you wouldn't go to level 20 from killing a god. So that's interesting all right so uh there is the mythic aspect of the aspect of bahamut to go over but i'm honestly just going to say that the last to go over the more normal stuff first so first things first bahamut's multi or sorry the aspect of bahamut's multi-attack uh is one bite one claw one tail a plus 19 to hit so you would need some truly crazy tanky characters to have any hope of not getting hit by these attacks. Uh, piercing damage plus force damage for the bite, which is interesting. Uh, fun fact about force damage, uh, it is the least resisted damage type in 5th edition. It is incredibly rare there to be any creature with a resistance to force damage so generally like only through magic items is that something really likely to come up uh then besides the bite we've got the claw slashing damage and an automatic grapple with a escape dc of 20 huh okay another strange choice here the aspect can only have one creature grappled this way at a time? Muhammad has two hands. That's dumb. Like, it'd be one thing if they said can only have one creature grappled this way per hand, 
no, it can only ha- it this that's dumb. Ugh. They need I need to get hired as an editor for Wizards, seriously. Alright, anyway, uh before they just <laughs> lawyer me into the ground. Uh no, you need to get hired and then give me free book. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't have uh, money for them. <laughs> uh, and then the, it has a tail attack for some bludgeoning damage. DC 27 strength save or not prone. Huh, that's kind of weird. So the grapple escape DC is 27, but just the saving throw, if it just gets tapped with the tail, is a 27? Like, so they purposefully are lowering the escape DC for the claw to make it more likely that someone can escape the grapple. That's interesting choices. All right. Anyway, Bahamut is the platinum dragon. And as you know, the god of metallic dragons. Do you know the quirk that makes the dragon breath of a metallic different than a chromatic dragon's breath? Uh... Isn't one of them cone? One of them is like straight line. Uh, not necessarily. Oh, uh, the no, shape is possible to vary. Okay, so the classic chromatic breath weapon is just the element. It's just you know fire breath or lightning breath or poison. You know whatever. What a metallic has though is they'll have their element as an option, but then they'll also have something else you know, to knock them out or just some other type of effect. So as the, you know, god of good dragons, can you guess what other effect the non-element breath weapon has for Bahamut? Sleep. Nope. Healing. What? Exalting breath. The aspect exhales the restoring winds of Mount Celestia in a 300-foot cone. Each creature in that area of the aspect's choice regains 13 d10 hit points. And each creature in that area of the aspect's, uh, of the aspect's choice that has been dead for no longer than an hour is restored to life with all its hit points. That's dope. 300 foot cone of 13 d10 healing and automatic no material component resurrection. And the fact that it is each creature, so it's not each humanoid, so this can be used on constructs, on de- this can be used on anything that the aspect chooses. And the fact that it is creatures of the aspect's choice in that 300-foot cone. Do you know how big an area 300 feet is in D&D? I'm too tired for math. No. (laughs) Okay, that is 60 squares. Yeah. So a 60-square long and wide cone. So that is something that can, you know, have a massive, massive quantity of creatures within it. Most people who aren't me don't make battle maps to use that are 60 by 60 or even close to that. 
Like, I think that's one one additional area which I am an anomaly. That's well, just well, enormous. What was that one man who made like four thousand by four thousand or whatever? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was such a, a long episode. There's a reason it was titled "The Slog." Like, honestly, I had a blast with that though. But I literally people... fell asleep during that. <laughs> I don't think anybody now, noticed, but uh, no, it was no. It was mostly Caden and Nathan, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, anyway. So the exalting breath. Oh, uh, sorry. One other uh, important thing to mention for a metallic dragon's breath weapon. Uh, instead of each, you know, being like once per short or long rest or each being on individual, you know, recharge rolls, it is shared. So there's the breath weapon with recharge five, six and the dragon just chooses which of their breath weapons to use. So it is still one recharge die just to be able to exhale one of their breath weapons. So besides the exalting breath that the aspect of Bahamut has to heal, it also has the platinum breath, uh, which is a platinum flames in a 300-foot cone, DC 26 deck save, to take 12 d10 radiant damage on a fail, and then half as much on a success. So that's a pretty respectable chunk of damage. Uh, up to 110 in a, again, 300-foot cone. So yeah, that's pretty significant. Now, metallic dragons also have an ability to change their shape to take other forms than, you know, their typical draconic form. And what is also really nice is that uh, in the new Fisman's book, they actually do make canon something that I have used in the past, but is now officially canonically true for 5th edition, which is previously only metallic dragons could change shape, but they do mention in Fisbans that a chromatic dragon can potentially do so as well. It does not change their CR. It just gives them some more options. So I, that is a detail I appreciate. But for Bahamut, it is a bonus action to do so. And the aspect magically transforms into any humanoid or beast while retaining his game statistics other than his size. This transformation ends if the aspect is reduced to zero hit points or if they use a bonus action to end it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Any humanoid or beast. And this goes into some of the lore of Bahamut. That like it is known that in certain material planes. That he would take, you know, a mortal form and, you know, travel to aid those who need it. Uh, They even mentioned in the description below that he might appear as a wizened old sage, a young monk or a songbird. So they don't give him like class levels explicitly but they do specifically mention that he has been a monk before so a dm can really choose like if you wanted to give a humanoid form of vomit levels in a class you can and it is known that bahamut has been things in the past and that's pretty damn nifty all right anyway uh legendary actions uh, it has the usual three legendary actions. However, there is one kind of nice difference in terms of its legendary resistances, which is that unlike the three legendary resistances that most creatures have, uh, the aspect of Bahamut has five legendary resistances in a day to automatically succeed on a failed saving throw. So that does indeed make it very hard to take down the aspect of a dragon god but anyway legendary actions uh actions they have three they don't have five legendary actions but uh they can make a claw or tail attack for one legendary action but they also have furious bite for two legendary actions which has the aspect of bahamut use a bite attack and if the attack hits the creature has to make a dc 27 wisdom save or become frightened of the aspect until the end of the target's next turn so frightened gives disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while the source of the fear is within line of sight and can't willingly move closer to the source of the fear so yeah in a fight with this thing you really don't want to suddenly get disadvantage on your attack rolls even disregarding all the rest so that is the basics of the staff. Oh, sorry. Uh, one other detail I missed. Uh, true sight to 120 feet. So, sees invisible, sees illusions. None of that is going to work. So, now let's actually go to the mythic side of things. So, the mythic trait is called Platinum Brilliance, and it recharges after a short or long rest if the aspect would be reduced to zero hit points. His current hit point total instead resets to 500 hit points. He recharges his breath weapon, and he regains any expended uses of legendary resistance. Additionally, the aspect can now use the options in the mythic action section for one hour. Award a party an additional 155,000 XP for defeating the aspect of Bahamut after Platinum Brilliance activates. So that is the big, 
bonus of if you do make use of mythic actions, you're basically creating a phased boss fight. Or, as you know, we said earlier, the this is not even my final form. So what that does, resets the hit points, first of all. So if you manage to first take away the first 585 original hit points, then it gains an addition, it resets the amount to 500. So to fully defeat the aspect of Bahamut, you need to whittle away 1,085 hit points for this creature. But if you're able to do all of that, you will get additional experience for a total of 310,000. Which is enough <laughs> to make someone go from level 1 to level 19. If, of course, a level 1 character somehow was able to defeat the aspect of Bahamut. But that is an absolutely insane quantity of XP. And honestly, that is the point at which I would say, if you're playing with epic boons, that would be the goddamn time to reward one or two for everyone involved in this situation. Uh, anyway, uh, besides the actual hit points, though, it does also unlock mythic actions. So mythic actions work uh, mostly like legendary actions. It just is additional options. It does still require using the creature's legendary actions. It just gives options, like I was saying. So you still only have three legendary options, but now you also have the ability to cast a celestial shield for two legendary actions, which manifests uh, seven spectral ancient gold dragons around him to protect him which gives the aspect of Bahamut 77 temporary hit points until the start of his next turn. So in other words, if the aspect chose not to use legendary actions for offensive reasons and to just cast Celestial Shield once around, that might mean that every goddamn round of combat, he will gain an additional, he will reset to 77 temporary hit points. So Bahamut's effective hit point total is insane. It is without a doubt the most hit points, or effective hit points, I should say, for any creature currently existing in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. 1,085 hit points and 77 temporary hit points that can potentially reset every goddamn round. So that's a lot. And now the final thing on Bahamut's character sheet, Celestial Lances. Using up all three legendary actions at the same time, the aspect conjures four enormous lances of magical force that plummet to the ground at four different points that he can see within 150 feet of him, and then they disappear. Each creature in a 20-foot radius 100-foot-high cylinder centered on each point must succeed on a DC 27 deck save or take 76 force damage. A creature in the air of more than one lance is affected only once. Uh, Mitch, do you happen to remember how large a fireball is? 20-foot uh, radius? It is a 20-foot radius. So, with 
three legendary actions used, it, the aspect of Bahamut is able to effectively have four radiant damage, fireball-sized force damage, which again is the least resistant damage type. So while it's true that it is a little bit less damage than a, a single fireball, so like fireball is 8d6, and each of these is quote-unquote only 7d6, uh, there is the little fact that it's a dc27 goddamn deck save. So all those, that is just a massive area of effect, rarely resisted damage type. Bahamut is really, really strong and really has a lot of power in terms of potentially just doing a lot of damage. Now, I keep talking about Bahamut's effective hit points. Is there any other relevant modifier to Bahamut's hit points? Mm -hmm. Okay, as a reminder, Bahamut has the healing breath weapon as well. So technically speaking, if Bahamut wanted to, there is no reason that it couldn't just fly up really high and then just breathe on itself in order to heal up 13d10 anytime it does that uh, recharge roll of 5 or 6. So Bahamut could heal himself, give himself temporary hit points, could rely on the Celestial Lances for the sake of ranged damage, uh, or just the fact that, again, a 300-foot cone of the Platinum Breath 2, if a dragon was 300 feet up and just fired the cone down so it just landed as a 300-foot area on the ground, there's not that many abilities that can actually even reach 300 feet to get up to it. So if the aspect of Bahamut is smart, which, again, 25 intelligence, so yeah, the aspect could just fly up, say, out of range of all melee, out of range of all thrown weapons, only bows or crossbows at long range, with so disadvantage, have a chance of actually reaching at that 300-foot mark. And the fact that if it is injured, it could just fly a little higher and then use the exalting breath to heal itself. This is a goddamn dangerous slog of a fight. Like, between the healing, the temporary hit points, the mythic ability, the aspect of Bahamut, I, I can't even imagine how long that fight could potentially take. Especially because, again, this is a god. If the aspect wanted to, it could very easily leave if something were to go badly. Because, again, it has a 120-foot fly speed. In terms of sheer speed, it can escape from most situations. And it has so much temporary hit points and just hit points in general that even if it does get reduced to like a quarter of its hit points after it uses the mythic actions... You know, then you also have the fear aspect to stop things from trying to chase after you. That's a hard creature to beat. 
But honestly, using poison to give it disadvantage might well be one of the best ways of trying to defeat this. But even a level 20 party of adventurers, like let's say you're playing an evil campaign and want to try to take out the aspect of Bahamut, good luck. That's going to be really goddamn hard. So that is it for the aspect of Bahamut. So now let's go to the goddess of evil dragons, the aspect of Tiamat. Ah. 23 AC, 574 hit points, uh, 60 foot speeds, 120 foot fly speed though. Uh, Jesus Christ. She has a plus 26 to her intimidation, which goddess of dragons. So yeah, that checks out. Uh, immune to acid, cold, fire, lightning, poison, and non-magical uh, physical attacks. So she does have all five of the chromatic immunities. Good. And then condition immunities cannot be blinded, charmed, deafened, frightened, poisoned, or stunned. So yeah, so she also is immune to poison. She should be. Uh, 120 foot uh, true sight. CR 30 once again. All right. And just like Bahamut, uh, multi-attack with one bite, one claw, and one tail attack. Uh, also, piercing damage and force damage on the bite. Claw auto grapples. Also has the very strange choice of can only have one creature grappled at a time, which is still weird. Uh, ba -ba -ba. Tail attack is the same. Bludgeoning damage, DC 27 strength save, or get knocked prone. Now... Tiamat's breath weapon works a little bit differently, though. As a chromatic dragon, uh, she does only have the single breath weapon. But chromatic flames recharge 5-6. The aspect exhales multicolored flames in a 300-foot cone. Each creature in the area has to make a DC 27 deck save. On a failed save, takes 11 D12 damage of a type of the aspect's choosing. Acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. On a successful save, the creature takes half as much. So, unlike any normal dragon, Tiamat gets to choose her damage type each time she uses her breath weapon. So that massive 300-foot cone is a massive area, massive chunk of damage with 11d12. And the fact that she could choose the damage type. So if she does see that someone is resistant or immune to one damage type, then yeah, she can just change it up every time that she uses her breath weapon to be able to just deal out just the maximum carnage possible. Uh, her legendary actions are exactly the same as Bahamut's. Uh, for one legendary action to make a claw or tail attack, uh, for two legendary actions to make the Furious Bite. Uh, to bite as well as a additional wisdom save or be frightened. So then onto the mythic side for her. Chromatic Wrath recharges after a short or long rest. If the aspect would be reduced to zero hit points, her current hit point total instead resets to 500 hit points. She recharges her Chromatic Flames and she regains any expended uses of legendary resistance. 
condition can now use the options in the Mythic Actions section for one hour. Award a party an additional 155,000 XP for defeating the aspect of Tiamat after Chromatic Wrath activates. Uh, so there is one aspect, actually, I do want to be sure that I have pointed out here. Both of these aspects have five legendary resistances a day instead of the normal three. And if you do make use of the mythic trait, it resets or they regain expended legendary resistances. So it is possible for both the aspect of Tiamat and the aspect of Bahamut to possibly have up to 10 legendary resistances in a single combat encounter. So banishment, save or die tricks are just not likely to work unless you have an army of level 20s. It is a difficult fight for any of these. Uh, anyway, the mythic actions available, though, for two legendary actions, hurl through Avernus. The aspect targets a creature she's grappling. Creature must succeed on a DC 25 charisma saving throw or take 8d10 psychic damage and be banished to Avernus, the first layer of the Nine Hells. At the start of the aspect's next turn, the creature reappears in an unoccupied space within 10 feet of the aspect. So that's pretty cool. A temporary banishment, some psychic damage. There is just one detail that irks me from the DM perspective that both of these have in common. Uh, I did mention it with Bahamut about how it was an interesting choice that they lowered the grapple DC to only an escape DC of 20. But these have varying DCs for different things. Like, it'd be one thing if everything was, you know, 25 or 27 DC, but it's not. It's the grapple DC with the claw of 20, the flame DC... Uh, Breath Weapon DC, rather, is 27. The Furious Bite DC is 27. Hurl Through Avernus is 25. And then the last one that I'm about to read is also 27. I don't like that inconsistency because that makes it much harder for a DM to run that. So that's not great. Uh, anyway, Chromatic Flare uh, uses all three legendary actions for the round. The Aspect flares with elemental energy. Each creature of the aspect's choice in a 60-foot radius sphere centered on her must make a DC 27 deck save. On a failed save, they take 6d12 damage of a type chosen by the aspect, acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. On a successful save, the creature takes half as much. So just a massive, massive area of just flared energy. Guaranteed damage because they still take half. And again, because it is that same choice of damage type, like the strategy for trying to fight Tiamat would be really difficult. Uh, I actually feel a little bit bad saying this, but to be honest, though, the Tiamat character sheet presented here, I think would actually be an easier fight than that aspect of Bahamut we just discussed before. Because Bahamut has all the healing and all of the extra, in addition to the damaging abilities of a dragon. Tiamat, for all that she does, a lot, just a fuck ton of damage. 
she doesn't have any healing. She doesn't have any regeneration or anything like that. So it still would be like the tank and spank kind of fight for all of her power and danger. Um, uh, to be honest, I'm not super impressed by this aspect of Tiamat's sheet because there's nothing on the survivability side, just damage. Uh, are you familiar with the adventure Rise of Tiamat? I know I've heard of it. Okay, so that was the first version of Tiamat's character sheet that was released for 5th edition. And that did have a significant number of differences to this new aspect. And that's actually one thing that I like in Fizzbins is that they are now explicitly defining that the CR30 version of Tiamat is still just an aspect because an actual D&D god is that much more that they just do not have a character sheet for the actual, you know, god character. But uh, the reason I mention it, though, that version of Tiamat has more survivability options in addition to her terrifying damage. So she had a regeneration in that one that if she has at least one hit point, she regains 30 hit points at the start of her turn. So if she does just escape, she'll be, you know, 300 hit points higher within a minute if she can just fly up for that short an amount of time. So the fact that this version of Tiamat has nothing defensive or healing except for hit dice really is a pretty severe limitation. But anyway, that being said, these are crazy powerful CR30 creatures that truly do deserve that high CR. But before we wrap up, I do just want to touch a little bit on the homebrew side. What is your opinion on the mythic trait uh i hope i don't have to fight it (laughs) fair enough but honestly i have talked a lot in past episodes about the struggle of trying to run a boss fight in fifth edition DD. i do like the theory of a mythic trait because that is something that again as like a phased boss fight there were I really do just love the whole this isn't my final form trope. It is just one that in that amuses me a lot. But in D&D, that would actually be pretty easy because there are plenty of creatures that transform where there are just plenty of creatures that you can just, you know, make up something for. So, like, if you wanted to invent some, like a mythic vampire, uh, you know how some fictional versions of vampires have the whole bestial form? where, you know, they have the charming version, but then they also have that more, like, Nosferatu or bat, you know, thing form as well. Yes. So if you wanted to make a mythic vampire, you just can lean into that angle of the mythology to just have it be, okay, you defeat the charming version, and that's, like, the first face of the vampire, and then you could have, you know, the mythic trait, you know, I don't know, king of darkness whatever you know edgelord vampire phrase you want to give the trait name resets the hit points you know 
describe the creature morphing into this, you know, more bestial form. Give it, you know, mythic actions that maybe it has, you know, flyby, where you just have this, you know, bat vampire creature that can just like swoop down, pick up creatures and drop them, you know, using mythic actions to, you know, move and do a flyby type thing. Like, there's a lot that you can do with the possibility of, you know, the mythic trait. So I really do like that as a mechanic, and it really is something that Dungeon Masters can make use of. And honestly, I have also mentioned in the past that what I like in D&D books is not just a cool thing, but for there to be good ideas and new rules that a Dungeon Master can adapt and use and change in other ways to incorporate into their game and world building. And that really is something that I like about Fisbin's Treasury of Dragons. Because whether it is making use of aspects of the dragon gods, or whether it is just to use the idea of a mythic trait on other monsters you create, there are things to be found to improve your Dungeons & Dragons game. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.